We are in Mark chapter 11. This is the story of the famous triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, which is coming up this Sunday. So kind of appropriate timing for this one. And I, I will probably be doing more preaching on this triumphal entry. But I do want to focus tonight on a lot of the, ver- the prophetic things about this chapter. I think we um, take for granted just how much was happening, prophetically speaking, when Jesus rolled into, uh, rode into Jerusalem that day. And so I want to try to uh, cover a lot of scripture tonight to help uh, understand the significance of this, because I, I think it's very interesting personally. But in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, it says, uh, And they came nigh on, on, to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat, loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loose him, and certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye? Loosing the colt. And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. So this right here, I just want to point out the faith that the disciples had to do this. Imagine just Jesus telling you, it would be like if he told you today, hey, listen, I need you to go pick up a car. Uh, just go walk down the street. Uh, first red car you see, the keys are going to be in it, and just go take it. And if anybody asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them. Now, you and I, the first thing we're going to think is they're going to call the cops. They're going to shoot us. And I'm sure back then, too, you know, just going and taking a cult like that is going to cause some uproar. And that's why they brought that up. You know, what if somebody asked and he said, just tell them the Lord needs them. And so not only did the disciples have faith, but the owner did, too. Because sure enough, these guys that come along just taking his animal without asking. And then sure enough, they said, the Lord hath need of them. Okay, help yourself. I I think that's pretty interesting right there. And I think, you know. I think one of the reasons this happened, I do think God put it in their heart because of the fact, too, what was about to happen was major. This was a major event that was about to happen where Jesus comes riding through. Now, something you need to understand about prophecy, okay, and Old Testament prophecy especially, is you have a literal fulfillment, you could say, or a literal interpretation you can make of a prophecy but there's also a spiritual you know interpretation that you that these prophecies have now when it comes to many of the prophecies uh, surrounding Jesus Christ at his first coming there's a lot of very physical things that are mentioned but they don't really happen that way because these things ended up being spiritually fulfilled and what i want to talk about tonight though is what was physically taking place it did it had major significance and I don't want anybody to walk away thinking, well, you're saying prophecy didn't come to pass. No, actually, all those things came to pass because what, where Israel fell short physically as a people, Jesus Christ ended up taking care of it for them. Jesus ended up fulfilling these things for them on their behalf. This goes along with what we talked about Sunday with Jesus being our high priest. And, and we, again, we don't think about this stuff that often because, you know, we're New Testament Christians you know, we've never been looking for these Old Testament prophecies to come to pass. We've always looked back on them. And so we, we don't think about this stuff that much. But 
it's important that we understand them because it will help us understand Bible prophecy and a lot of things about the Old Testament. And it will help us interpret a lot of things in the New Testament accurately that people get very wrong, especially when it comes to Israel. And so let's keep reading. So first off, um, what Jesus is doing here, and get this, okay, and this, this ties in with what I'm preaching Sunday night. I'm really anxious to preach Sunday night's message, but Jesus is doing things on purpose to fulfill Scripture. You know why? Because Jesus had to fulfill all the prophecies. Yeah, he had to fulfill, fulfill all of them. Okay, go ahead and take, pick your favorite one, and you can make it all about that. Jesus cared about the details. He made it about all of them. And all of them had to happen, including this one, this prophecy that was written in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fall of an ass. So this, there's no doubt this was a fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus Christ comes riding in this way. And it appears to me that the crowd, when they're all just laying their garments and palm leaves in the way and shouting Hosanna, it appears that they understand something significant is happening. And the Bible doesn't tell us what all was going on in their minds then. I'm going to tell you what I think was going on in their head based off what we see in the Old Testament and what they were doing, I don't want to like add something to the scripture that's not there, but I do think that Israel realized at this time that something significant was happening. I think they understood that a prophecy, a major prophecy was being fulfilled, but here's where Israel messed up. It didn't get fulfilled the way they thought it was going to get fulfilled. It didn't turn, you know, Jesus didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And they ended up messing up. So let's let's keep reading. So it says in verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. So they're making a pretty big deal about this, where they're laying these things in his path. And so it seems that they understand something very significant is happening here with Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem. It says, And they went before, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We're going to sing a song with those very words this coming Sunday, on Palm Sunday, taken right out of the Bible here. And so it would appear, based on what the multitude is saying right here, that they actually understood that Scripture was being fulfilled, but unfortunately, they didn't understand how it was being fulfilled. Things weren't playing out the way they thought it was going to. And there's a lot of people today that they have Scriptures memorized. These people have some Scriptures memorized, but you know what? They didn't understand them. And that's just a fact. You know how many people there are today that have John 3.16 memorized? We've talked to these people out souling, but then you say, now what do you think that means a person's got to do? Well, you got to repent of all your sins and be a good person. You, you, I know you know that verse. You just quoted it to me. But they don't understand it. And so understand Israel, they understood, or they had this passage memorized, but they didn't understand it. They, they, they had the major prophecies about the Messiah memorized, 
but they did not understand them. Because when they were being fulfilled, we see them get really bent out of shape because it wasn't like they thought it was going to be. And the problem was, it wasn't that Jesus just kind of was underwhelming. The problem was just with them. And what we're going to see that the problem was them. Jesus came as the Messiah and he did his part, but they didn't do their part. And that's why things didn't turn out the way they thought it was going to. So verse 11 says, and Jesus entered in Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide uh, was come, he went out into Bethany with the 12. So Jesus he comes in, he looks at things, and then he goes to Bethany with the 12. So this seems rather non-climactic, doesn't it? It's like you've got this major event happening. Jesus comes, he looks around, and he just he kind of leaps. And it says, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So Jesus, he ends up cursing the fig tree because it didn't have any fruit. And there's no doubt this fig tree represents Israel. Now, folks, please get this. I, I, I wish I could spend a lot of time on this. There's no doubt this fig tree represents Israel. Okay, even the Zionists will tell you this fig tree represents Israel. But notice how when Jesus didn't find any fruit, and you know, that's what he was doing when he came into Jerusalem. He was coming to do a fruit inspection. He specifically was coming to do a fruit inspection. And you know what happened when he came into the temple? There was no fruit. I'm going to show you this. And so we see Jesus when he leaves and he goes to Bethany, he sees a fig tree. There's no fruit on it. He curses it. Later they come back and it's dried up. Jesus, when he cursed it, he said, let no fruit grow in the hereafter. It was done. Now, that tells me that God's done with Israel. As far as using them as a fruit tree, God is done with them in that area. So what, you know, what did the Zionists do? You know what they do with it? Matthew 24, the budding of the fig tree. That's prophetic of Israel coming back and God using them again. And I don't have time to get into that, but that's why they have to interpret it that way. And it's so dumb. It is so dumb. If you actually study that passage that they do that, but they have to do that because what are we going to do about Jesus cursing that fig tree? We got to bring it back to life. I know Jesus cursed it dead and said, you know, no fruit ever, but we're going to bring it back. And so let's do it with Matthew chapter 24, even though the parable of that it's the parable of the budding of the fig tree that tells you what season that you're in. That wasn't about bearing fruit. It's just saying, Jesus is saying, when you see all these things come to pass, you're going to know that you're in the season of his return. That's what that parable means. It's that simple. But they got to go to a deeper meaning, right, to cover for their false doctrine and the fact that we have a clear parable here about a fig tree that there's no doubt is talking about Israel. Jesus literally, and they don't realize this too. They don't realize this because they don't study Old Testament either. That when Jesus went into the temple, he was doing a fruit inspection. I'm going to show you that. And he didn't find any fruit. And the fig tree gets cursed. Okay, Israel gets cursed. I'm, I'm, we're, going to, we're going to show you this. This is not me just adding something to the text that goes along with our doctrine. We're going to see this very clearly. 
And if, if people would do this one simple thing of when they study a scripture in the New Testament and it refers to something in the Old Testament, if they would go back and not just read the one verse, but the entire passage, it would enlighten them on so many things. But unfortunately, they're, they're just lazy about this stuff. So I, um, I believe the reason we see kind of a non-climatic event here is because Israel had utterly failed to do its job. Now, what was their job? What was their job? You know what their job was? I'm going to show you this. They were to be a light to the world. But you know what? They shut people out. Not only had they not been a light, but they themselves weren't even saved. And look what it says in verse 15. So it says, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast the, cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house should be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. Now, folks, get this. Now, we have, unfortunately, taken this passage and we have made this the verse about not selling stuff in church. And understand, I think that's a good principle that we can get from this. That's a good principle. But that is not the primary application of this verse right here. We, we, we don't want to miss this. This is very important here. Now, how can we figure out the primary application of this verse when he says, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into the den of thieves? Well, you know what? Let's try something. Let's look, go back and look at the passage that Jesus was referring to. Now, go back to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. I'm amazed at how many verses that literally... They are only known for the illustrative purposes that we use them for or for personal applications, but nobody knows the primary application of it. There's a lot of passages like that, and uh, you know, we need to do better in our Bible study than that. But look at verse 1 of Isaiah 56. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love this name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain. This is talking about Mount Zion where Jesus was. Where Jesus was in that temple. He said, I'm going to bring them and make them a joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called 
and house of prayer for all people. The Lord which gathereth the outcast of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. Did you know that God always had a plan to bring salvation to all people? But Israel failed to be a light. They failed to keep the covenant. They weren't keeping the Sabbath. They were polluting his altar. Their sacrifices were polluted. They weren't doing anything they were supposed to do. And not only that, they were shutting people out. Look how they treated the Samaritans. Look how they treated just all the bad people and all the outcasts. And Jesus was saying, listen, my house is going to be called a house of prayer for all nations. That was God's intent. That was God's plan. And Israel didn't get the job done. Israel as a people, they just kept it all for themselves. And then they didn't even do it right. They were, they were messing it up. They weren't opening things up to everybody else. And not only that, they had taken the house of God and literally had turned it into a den of thieves. Now keep that in mind too, because we're going to go to another passage that you all know. If you've gone to a Baptist church for more than two weeks, you know this, you know this passage I'm going to read, but you all know the personal application. You don't know the primary application of it. And we need to get this. I promise. You can't, listen, what, just let, let me just do a trivia right here. All right. What passage of scripture in the Old Testament are you going to hear brought up in every Baptist church? Woo! Right. That's right. Y'all holding out on your ties, your thieves, your robbers. Hey, you know, I'm not against that. Okay. I'm not against that, but there's a lot more to that passage than just trying to get you all to tithe on your stimulus checks. There, I got it in there. Finally, I keep forgetting every service. I'm trying to find a way to get that in. And I, I, I finally got it in there. Well, man, Rob, God, y'all are in trouble. We're going to Malachi 3 here in just a little bit. Y'all are in trouble. But before we get there, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Israel, they failed. Israel did not understand the salvation that they needed and that Christ came to give. Because notice, in Zechariah 9.9, but it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Okay? Specifically says, he has salvation. Let's keep, uh, let's keep reading. There's a lot of scripture, but we, we need to cover this. So verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to the sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Now, can you see where Israel got the idea that the Messiah, when he came, there was going to be some military action? I, I can see where they thought that. I, I get that. It says in verse 11, As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today I do I declare that I will render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me... Filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling and stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine, and they shall be filled like bowls as the corners of the altar. So, again... We see where they get the military idea, right? And I think a lot of people, when Jesus came through that day, they thought, all right, he's fixing to get an army together, and we're going to take care of these Romans. 
He's going to take care of all our enemies. And we Jews, we're going to be the boss. We're going to take over the world. I think that's what they thought. And they didn't like it when things didn't go that way. That's why less than a week, just a few days later, they're crying, crucify him. They were saying, Hosanna. But then later, they're saying, crucify him. So now look at verse 16. And it says, and this is why I think they knew, they, they understood a passage of Scripture was being fulfilled. They just didn't understand the passage. Because look at verse 16. And the Lord, their God, shall save them in that day. As, the, as the, the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. Now, what were they saying when Jesus came in? They were saying, Hosanna. Now, what does that word mean? Now, Hosanna, that is a term of praise, kind of like a hallelujah. But it's, what it specifically means is, oh, save. That's what Hosanna means, oh, save, or save us. When Jesus Christ is writing in, and they're saying Hosanna, that is, that's a term of praise where they're basically crying out for Jesus to save them. So if they're all crying out for Jesus to save them, how come they all didn't get saved right then? You know why? Same reason a lot of Catholics don't get saved when they're doing their prayers. You know, they say a lot of the right words, but they don't, they don't have, their, their hearts aren't right. They don't understand what they're praying. They don't understand what they're saying. And so them crying out to Jesus, save us, if they're talking about from the Romans, then they're not going to get saved and get salvation. Now, if they had been talking about save us from our sins, then, you know, that we could have gotten somewhere. But understand, that's what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring them the salvation they needed, not the salvation that they wanted. And so when they're crying out, Hosanna, I do, I think that shows they understood, hey, Zechariah 9, 9 is happening. I think this is why the Pharisees got so upset and they're telling Jesus, hey, rebuke these people for what they're saying. There's no way you're fulfilling that right now. But Jesus said, hey, if they hold their peace, the rocks are going to cry out. We see that in one of the other accounts. It's not here in Mark. But I believe that they understood to a certain extent this passage was being fulfilled. They just didn't understand the passage. Because it does appear that in that passage, the Messiah would bring a military salvation. So here's the question. Why didn't he? Why didn't he save Israel from their enemies? Because look at what we see in Luke chapter 19. This is in the same event, the same story. When Jesus comes into the temple, listen to what he said. I'm showing this is all connected. Okay, This is all connected with what we see in the Old Testament. Verse 41 says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known... Even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. You know what Jesus did when he went in there? He didn't come bringing military salvation, did he? You know what Jesus did when he came in and he looked around? He wept over the city. You know why? Because they weren't ready to receive him. 
And then you know what he proceeded to do? He proceeded to tell them what was coming. And he didn't tell them about physical or a military salvation. You know what he told them about? Military destruction. He said, you're going to be destroyed. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. Same thing we see him mentioned in Matthew 24 about the temple. You know why? Because they didn't know the time of their visitation. When the Messiah came, they weren't ready for him. And so because they weren't ready, they don't get the rest of Zechariah chapter 9. Those talk about right there. Jesus did his part. He showed up. But they weren't ready. They didn't accept him. And they didn't get that military salvation. You know what they got? They got destroyed. And they said, oh, you're saying Zechariah didn't come to pass. No, Zechariah is going to come to pass. But understand, there were contingencies in there. And we talked about that when we went through the book of Zechariah. I don't have time to rehash that. But Jesus, when he came in there and he looked around, this group was unacceptable. He could not, he couldn't accept them. He couldn't, he couldn't save these people the way they wanted to be saved. They had too many problems. And this is where we go to Malachi 3. Okay, now let's go to Malachi chapter 3. Let's find out what this passage is mainly about. Okay, let's, let's make sure we understand this. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord. Now, what, what does it say? We all know that, behold, was one crying in the wilderness. That was John the Baptist. We all know that. But after he came, it says, the Lord shall suddenly come into his temple. That's what Jesus did in Mark chapter 11. He came suddenly into the temple. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purify of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. When did that happen? I tell you what, it didn't happen with the Levites. It didn't happen with those people. They didn't offer up a sacrifice, did they? It says in verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the false swears and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said... Wherein shall we return? Now, let me stop for a minute and talk about this. I am the Lord, I change not. We like to use that one, too, when talking about other stuff, you know, when defeating modalism and all that other stuff. But what's, what's the main primary application of that? I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's how God's just constantly merciful with them. And you know what? Here's the great thing. When Jesus came into his temple, you know what he didn't do? He didn't consume them right there, did he? You know what he ended up doing? He ended up, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but when they didn't have an acceptable sacrifice ready to offer, when they weren't pure, you know what Jesus did? He took on the role of the priests and the Levites, and he offered up himself as an acceptable sacrifice. And you know what he did? He offered salvation to them. He didn't consume them. You know why? Because he is the Lord, he changes not. It's 
That, that's, that's what that's all about right there. But it says, so he tells him, return unto me, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. So notice how after Jesus is talking about this time, when he's going to come, or in Malachi, when he's talking about this time, when the Messiah is going to come, he's going to come into his temple, he's going to do all these things. One of the things he mentions, he gets onto them for, is about the fact that they're thieves and they're robbing God. What did Jesus get onto them for? When he came into the temple, he ended up going in there, cleaning the house, running about with the whip, overturning the tables. You know why? Because they turned his house into a den of thieves. You see how these things, all these things are connected? Everything we see Jesus talking about, everything we see him reference, it all ties back to these passages from the Old Testament that were specific about the Messiah coming into his temple and doing all these things. There's no doubt we have a connection here. And said, and some might disagree and say, well, the prophecy was not fulfilled then. But here's the thing. The prophecy was fulfilled then because, and, and get this, this is so important that you understand this. It's so important that you get this. You say, well, Israel messed up, therefore they messed up God's prophecy. No, because here's the fantastic thing about it. Jesus Christ was of Israel. Jesus Christ took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ, we see his lineage. So when Jesus Christ came in and he fulfills all these things, you know what he did? He fulfilled that on behalf of Israel. Now, here's the, here's the thing. In order to get in on that, you have to be in Christ. It doesn't matter, you know, your biological lineage because the biological lineage all messed up. What matters is Jesus Christ. And so all those things that Israel was supposed to do, all these things that Israel had to do in order for prophecy to be fulfilled, you can say that Israel did it because of the fact Jesus did it. But not everyone who was of Israel physically gets to take credit for it. They have to be in Christ. Hence the verse, they are not all Israel that are of Israel. It's those that are the children of the promise that are counted for the seed. So that's something we ought to understand. So for example, you know, a way you can look at it too is, a lot of times a nation can get credited for something good or bad just by one individual doing something. You know, like when America, you know, bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, it was just one guy. Yeah, but he was doing it on behalf of America. You know, he was doing it by the order of the President of the United States. You know, and so in a sense, you can kind of say, you know, you, America did, in fact, do it, even though not everybody that was living necessarily took part in it in that situation. And so you can say Israel fulfilled these things, but it was 100% because of Jesus Christ. He did all of it. He fulfilled every one of these things. When you go back and you study these Old Testament passages and it's telling them all these things that Israel had to do along with the Messiah, we don't see Israel doing any of the things that they were supposed to do, but we do see Jesus doing all of it. So these things, they are fulfilled. They are just fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the, now, to get in on the promises to Israel, you have to be in the only one who fulfilled the covenant. 
And that was Jesus. You have to be in Christ to be Abraham's seed. And yet people today, because of a bad interpretation of Romans 11, and ignoring Galatians 3 and 4, and ignoring Romans 2, and uh, Romans 9, and just ignoring so much Bible, I'll still have some for Israel. No, listen, no fruit's going to grow on that fig tree again. We got in, There's a new tree now. And that tree is Jesus Christ. And these people, they get all bent out of shape at replacement theology, but they're trying to replace Jesus Christ with the synagogue of Satan. That's what they're really doing. And I try to be nice and I try to be gracious with these people, but, you know, it's just it's getting out of hand. It's getting out of hand. These people have been corrected over and over again, and they just, in, in stubbornness and stupidity, I think it's stubbornness more than stupidity. I don't, I'm not mean enough to think they're that dumb. But anyway, so verse 18 says, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. So when Jesus testified, when he came in and testified that their works were evil, he wasn't just saying that they were bad, but he was accusing them of violating very specific laws from the Old Testament, and they didn't take it well. They didn't take it well at all. And it says, And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree without which thou cursed is withered away. And that was a picture of what was coming for Israel. And you know, let me just throw, throw this in there too. But we saw very clearly from the book of Isaiah, that Jerusalem, Mount Zion, was supposed to be called of all nations a house of prayer. And yet people act like, in that Old Testament economy, it was all about the Jews. And, and here's, but here's, on one hand they're right, on, on another hand they're a mile off. Here's what it meant to be all about the Jews. It meant they were the ones supposed to be, that were supposed to be the light. They were the ones that God entrusted with his word. They were the ones that God was wanting to use to spread the word. And at that time, in the Old Testament, the way it was supposed to be is the nations were supposed to come to Israel. That's what they were supposed to do under that Old Testament economy. But Israel did nothing with it. They were always in trouble. They were always backslidden. They weren't doing anything right. And if anybody even tried, then you know what they did? They shut them out. And it was prophesied in Isaiah. Even, even the eunuchs, they've got a place. And you know what? We see that fulfilled with the Ethiopian eunuch, don't we, in, in the book of Acts. We see that being fulfilled. I think that's one of the reasons that got mentioned in there. God's getting that done. He's fulfilling that, even though Israel didn't do their part. But you know what? Jesus and his disciples got that done. The church did. They reached out to the eunuchs. They reached out to these outcasts. So they did, They they shut everybody out. They didn't do any of those things that we're supposed to do. And so in that Old Testament economy, people were supposed to come to Israel. But now in this New Testament economy, you know what God has done? God hasn't, we don't have a holy mountain anymore that's physical on this earth that people have to come to. You know what God did? God took, sent us out into all the world. And we take the gospel to them now. That's a whole lot better. That's why we call it the better covenant and the better testament. And then, and you know, how beautiful are the feet of them upon the mountain? You know, we, because we're, ta- we're taking this thing to them now, which is a blessing for them. And they need that. The world needs us. They don't realize it. But they need us. So verse 22, or um, sorry, verse 19. 
Oh, no, we are to verse 21. So, yeah, so this was a small picture, I believe, of that fig tree of what Israel had become in the eyes of Jesus. And so, verse 22, And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So Jesus, he's trying to show them that prayer and faith is a powerful thing. And uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but... And he, you know, he talks about forgiveness, which was important that people understood this, a people who had been shutting other people out and not allowing them to be a part of the things of God. They needed to understand this thing of forgiveness because not only did they need to be forgiving, but they needed forgiveness themselves. They needed that and they didn't understand it. So verse 27 says, and they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and they say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority to do these things? Now, I'm not 100% sure in this passage, but um, this could be a reference to the miracles. If you look at the other accounts of the same story, it talks a lot about the miracles that he did during this whole thing where he's at the temple. And so... A lot, um, it could have been just asking about hey, the authority to do the miracles and things that he did. But it also could have been authority too, uh, referring to the fact that he came into the temple and started driving people out and turning things over. You know, I mean, imagine if somebody just came in here that we don't know and just starts like, you know, getting on to all of us and telling us where it's like, hey, who are you? You know, what, what authority do you have to come and tell us what to do here? You're not, you're not a part of this. But understand, Jesus, he definitely had every right to go in there and clean house. That was his house. That was his place. He was the son of God. Of course, these people didn't recognize him as that. And so they're, when they're asking him that question, they're not asking looking for answers. We're going to see this here. They're not asking looking for answers. They're doing this too, just casting doubt, and they're looking for something to accuse them. They said early in the chapter, after this happened, they're like, we've got to destroy this guy. Too many people are following him. Too many people think that he's a prophet. In the book of John, I didn't, I didn't uh, put this passage down. I don't remember what chapter it is exactly. But one of the things that they said in the book of John during this time is they said, behold, the whole world cometh after him. And the reason they said that was because there were people from all over the world during this time, and Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and the Pharisees feared news of Jesus Christ leaving Israel and leaving Jerusalem. If, if word gets out about him, the whole world's going to be coming after him. That's what they feared, and that's why it was during this time that they did. They, they decided, we've got to kill him. He has to die we have to get rid of this man. He's way too powerful. He's got way too much influence. And they had no idea that that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. That's exactly what he needed them to do. So verse 29 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question, 
and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. Jesus, and, and they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if we say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John, that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And one thing we can get from this is some people are pointless to talk to. Uh, That's all there is to it. Some people are just looking for accusations. And you know what? You're not required to engage in those situations. When Jesus was at his mock trial, he wasn't answering all the questions that they were asking. He'd say stuff when he felt like saying something. And I'm not saying you can never answer anybody, but you know, there's some people, you're just better off ignoring them, not listening to what they have to say. I got to learn from this too. I get roped into stupidity all the time, especially on Twitter. I've been, just, I've been, I've been on a roll just blocking anonymous accounts lately because they're always roping me into just dumb arguments. And these people are out of their mind. And, and then you try to get them to ask, you know, answer a question too, and they won't do it. And, and why do I always take the bait? You know, and it's, I don't have the wisdom of Jesus, but I do think I do think if someone is sincere, we should always be ready. You know, we can always jump to. I'll be always always ready to give it you know, an answer to every man that asks you the hope. Well, I I get I get that verse, but if somebody just has the phrase come out of their mouth, it doesn't really mean they're asking you. Obviously, anyone that's asking you about the hope that's in you, you ought to be ready to answer them, talk to you about salvation. But if somebody's just coming to mock you. I don't think we have to cast our pearls before swine. If somebody's just trying to mess with you, you know what? I think you're allowed to walk away. Some people are just trying to start an argument. Some people are just trying to get you in trouble. And, you know, there's no reason to engage with these people. And so the story here of the triumphal entry of Christ, this was, this was of major prophetic significance. It was this ride that he took into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday that kicked off a week of just nonstop fulfilling of Scripture. Just one thing after another. We covered a lot of these things on um, on Sunday, where we talked about that high priestly prayer of Christ that took place not long, uh, just you know, a few days after this. Uh, we talked about that uh, arrest and the trial, where just prophecies are being fulfilled. And you know, and over the next week too, we're gonna I'm, we're gonna show you a lot of examples. I'm gonna show you a bunch of examples on Sunday night of just constantly in the Gospels, in the Scriptures, it's showing this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Jesus is purposefully going and fulfilling Scripture. You know why? Because that Old Testament, this was the law of God. This was, it was a perfect book. It was a perfect covenant. But these people couldn't handle it. They couldn't get it done. But Jesus was able to go and do what needed to be done to bring hope to mankind and it was a real mission they did on purpose. And that's why, too, and I, uh, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. And I think, I think I'm covering this Sunday night or Sunday morning. But you realize when you're uh, a big chunk of the Gospels is all about the last, you know, from the last week before Jesus died to the you know, time of his ascension. I mean, most of the Gospels uh, or a big chunk is all about that specific time. Because that was the key time. Everything that started to take place 
from Jesus writing in, it was all that all started with him bringing salvation. Everything from his triumphal entry to his prayer in the garden to his arrest to his trial to his hanging on the cross to his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of that was all being done with the purpose of bringing out salvation. And so just like we are looking for Jesus to return in the clouds one of these days, they were looking for the Messiah to come into the temple. But things didn't turn out the way they thought it would. And that is why we see just a few days later a multitude that goes from crying out from Hosanna to crucify him. They didn't realize they had a problem. They missed something in the preaching of John and of Jesus and of the disciples when he's telling, they're telling them to repent. They missed, they missed where they were sinners. They missed where they had a problem. And as a result of it, they didn't see a need for a Savior and for cleansing from sin. And so when Jesus got to Jerusalem, they were supposed to be ready for him at that day. But unfortunately, they killed the main messenger, John, that was there before. And then they were plotting to kill Jesus, and things were a mess. That was an unacceptable group. They were not prepared to make a sacrifice, but thankfully, Jesus Christ was, and he got it done all by himself. His own arm brought salvation without their help at all. He gets 100% of the praise and glory for our salvation. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and uh, Lord for providing a way of salvation for us. And Dear God, I pray you'll help us to uh, fulfill our role in being a light to this world and getting the gospel. Help us not to be shutting people out, but help us to be bringing people in and uh, introducing them to you so they can have that salvation that you brought to this earth. Thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.